It was not until I came back to God. And when I sat down and I just let him take over, that's when I was free. And I don't think that God gives us testimonies for us to just sit on them. And then, you know, there's that thing about me making that promise to him that if you do free me, then I will tell the world about you. And so I'm going to keep to my word because um, I think it's important. I think it's necessary. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today, we talk with two young women who have had incredible hardships, but when they turned their traumatic circumstances over to God, they saw Him work in miraculous ways to redeem their struggles, and today, allow Him to use their stories to heal others. Author and activist, Centoya Brown-Long, and interior designer, Liz Marie Galvin. Up first, Centoya Brown-Long shares the redemptive story of how she found hope through faith after an unimaginable series of events marked her adolescence. While still a high schooler, the man Centoya thought was her boyfriend began physically and sexually abusing her and forced her into prostitution. One night in 2004, 16-year-old Centoya was solicited by a 43-year-old man. During the course of the evening, Centoya began to fear for her life and shot him. Centoya was arrested and later convicted on a charge of first-degree murder. She shares a little about how her life first took a downward turn, and then after her conviction, how she purposed to create hope even through this harrowing situation. My name is Centoya Brown-Long. I am 31 years old, and for about two months now, I've been free from prison. I was incarcerated at the age of 16, and after 15 years, God finally freed me. So I grew up in Clarksville, Tennessee, um, about three minutes from the military base, Fort Campbell. So my family consisted of my mother, um, Ellenette. She is a special needs teacher. And my father, he's retired military. And then also have a sister and my dreams pretty much changed all the time. So one minute I may have wanted to be an architect or an engineer. Not really sure I knew exactly what that consisted of, but it just sounded fancy enough for me to be. So growing up in my house, my mom, we grew up in a Baptist church, Missionary Baptist. And you know, every Sunday, every Wednesday, she made sure that we went to church. And so it was a constant and there was a lot of structure in my house. My mother was very strict. Um, so for all intents and purposes, I had a very healthy environment at home, but it was at school that I would start to get in trouble, started hanging around the wrong people, um, eventually ended up going to alternative school, got into some more trouble, and led to me being locked up in the juvenile delinquent system. Once I became a delinquent, I actually ran away from the facility and ended up being on the streets in Nashville with people that I had met from the facility. And I just started meeting people who did not have my best interests at heart. Um, started doing drugs, smoking marijuana, doing cocaine um, on a regular basis. I did cocaine for about two weeks. And that was with the man that I had actually met um, who is now known as my trafficker. At the time, I thought he was my boyfriend. Um, that's kind of how it happens. When you're young, you're on the run, you don't 
really understand everything that you're putting yourself into because you're putting yourself in a lot of adult situations without knowing what you're getting yourself into. And before I knew it, I was actually being trafficked on the streets of Nashville. So the night that led to my incarceration, I was actually staying in a hotel room um, with a cutthroat. He was the man who, at the time, I thought was my boyfriend. And it was time for me to go back out and bring money back for us to get another hotel room. And I just felt really fearful, really uncomfortable, and again, was in a situation that a 16-year-old girl should not have been with a 43-year-old man. And I ended up shooting him because I was fearful of what was gonna happen. So after that happened, I went back to the hotel and probably within 24 hours, I was caught by the police and I was arrested for murder. So when I was first sentenced, um, I was actually told that I would spend the rest of my life in prison. In the state of Tennessee, you have to serve at least 51 calendar years before you're even considered um, for any type of release. So I saw a lot of people around me who were given the same news and they kind of just gave up hope after a while. And I didn't want to be that. I don't want to be that person. I knew that there was still some way that I could live some type of meaningful life. I still had a family who was there for me. And, you know, I wanted to keep going for their sake, you know, not just for my sake. I don't think at the time that I made that decision, I really cared enough about myself to make it for myself. Um, but it was really for my mother's sake that I wanted to do better and that I wanted to actually live a meaningful life. And so the opportunity to join a college course through a local university, Lipscomb University, came and I worked really hard, went through all kinds of hurdles, and I finally got accepted into the program. And so it was after I started taking classes there that I started to see, like, wow, like this is really possible for me to actually live a real life in prison. And I spent most of my time studying my schoolwork or having conversations with other people, and it really just like opened my mind up. And so that was really helpful for me um, and developing self-control and learning how to make the right decisions there in the prison environment because it's very difficult to, you know, try to keep yourself out of trouble there. With her sharp mind and determination to expand her horizons, Centoya earned an associate's degree and then a bachelor's degree. She even worked with a documentary crew to release a documentary of her life on PBS in 2011 called Me Facing Life, sharing her story with millions around the world. But in 2017, there was one man who resonated very strongly with this young woman's story, and he would eventually become her husband. My name is Jamie Long. I'm from a city outside of Houston by the name of Lamarck, Texas. Um, God-fearing man. I'm a husband, and that's who I am. The way me and my wife met um, is nothing short of a miracle. Uh, I come from a musical background in my family. Uh, my uncle being Huey Long, my grandfather, Curtis Long, he played guitar for uh, Bobby Blue Bland and a whole bunch of your, your famous blues singers. Everyone in my family sings, everyone in my family plays an instrument, and uh, I just kind of fell into that, um, you know, that bloodline. I grew up in a, in a Christian family, and um, 
that's my mother always instilled in me Christ. I remember hearing the voice of the Lord at a young age. You know, that didn't change when I, when I came, became an adult. You know, I just, I started to, to, to really realize where this voice was coming from, who it was coming from. I was actually in my studio preparing to go back on tour, finishing up an album. And I was having writer's block. And I just decided to step out of the studio and go into one of the extra rooms we had at the studio. And on my TV, there was uh, the YouTube recommendations for me to watch. And my TV had been on for three days and I just didn't turn it off. And she had been sitting on my TV for three days. I noticed it was an hour long and I was like, there's no way I'm watching this whole story. I'm just like, I mean, if you know me personally, it's hard to get me to watch um, a 10 minute segment. First of all, I don't even know what this is about, but if it recommended me to watch it, I'll watch it. An hour later, I was just like, wow, that was um, pretty amazing. And the Lord stopped me in my tracks and he said, write her a letter and write it right now. And uh, I said, I'm not gonna write her a letter right now. I'm gonna go back in the studio and finish doing what I'm doing. And it was just so heavy on my heart. I never made it back into that room. I stopped right there what I was doing. I wrote her a letter and I kind of said, okay, God, I did it. I put it in the envelope and I said, all right, I'll send it out tomorrow. He said, take it back out the envelope and burn the edges of the paper. And I said, okay, either I'm going crazy or you know, God is up to something. And um, I, burnt, I burnt the edges of the paper. I was obedient to the voice of the Lord. And I sent the, the letter in and I forgot I sent it. And um, about a week or two later, I got a letter back from her. She told me that the reason she wrote back was because she saw the edges of the paper burnt. And I said, okay, we deal with a God who's, who's serious about detail. Yeah, that was the only reason I wrote because it stuck out so much because I wasn't writing anybody back at the time. I had got so many letters in, but I wasn't responding to anyone. Yeah, so. no, I'm not a person to write anybody either. You, you know, sure so. ain't. No. <laughs> <laughs> so when Jamie first wrote me, um, you know, he would speak a lot to me about God and, you know, the things that God was telling him to to let me know that you know to have faith in him that he was going to get me through this and at that time I had become so bitter and so angry because I felt that I had spent so much time praying you know for God to get me out of this and here I was and it's like well where are you and I didn't recognize that I was angry I had just told myself well I just don't believe like he's just not real and, you know, Jamie would constantly, not in a pushy way, but he would just continue to tell me about, like, his experience, like, things that God had did in his life. And it was like, well, you know, I remember a similar circumstance. And so, yeah, I guess there's no explanation, but that was God. And so it really caused me to start going back and looking over things with new eyes and, like, all right, maybe I just kind of explained this away because I was angry. If I had to say what I love most about Jamie is I love the way he loves God so much. And I get to see how important it is to him to stay in alignment. And it helps keep me straight. It helped keep 
me humble. It helps to keep me focused. And so like that's helpful and like, it's just good to have somebody who is my best friend, but who also can help me to stay on the right track, um, keeps me accountable. And that was the biggest step in me, recognizing that I was angry at God. And once that happened, like, I just started to listen and like I was just soaking up everything. I wanted him to constantly, you know, minister to me. I wanted to read the Bible with him constantly. We started reason, reading Jesus Calling every day together and we would talk about, okay, well, what did you take from that? Um, we talk about experiences that it spoke to us, you know, and I just started getting hungry for it. Me personally, I find Jesus Calling um, so special. Is Sometimes we think that God and Christ are, are this is this imaginary person in the sky, and we we call on him when we need something like a genie in a bottle. But that's not true. Like Jesus is always calling. He has a word for you, 365 days, every year. It doesn't stop. He's always there. He's there when you need him. He's there just to say, hey, thank you. He's. I mean, he's there. To me, it's my coffee for the morning, like it's something that I can get my day started with, yeah. so. Yeah, I agree, and I love how, you know, you have the verses that she includes for every day, but then exactly. you have the passage that just really makes it like hit home. Exactly. So it really speaks to you on a personal level, and a lot of times it's like, wow. wow. Like, yeah, like, oh I wow. needed to I hear need that. that, like yeah, how, yeah. Did, how do they know that today that is what I needed yeah, exactly. to hear? And so that's what I love about it. Right. So this is the June 30th entry of Jesus Calling, and it reads, I am the truth, the one who came to set you free. As the Holy Spirit controls your mind and actions more fully, you become free in me. You are increasingly released to become the one I created you to be. This is a work that I do in you as you yield to my spirit. I can do my best handiwork when you sit in the stillness of my presence, focusing your entire being on me. Let my thoughts burst freely upon your consciousness, stimulating abundant life. I am the way and the truth and the life. As you follow me, I lead you along paths of newness, ways you have never imagined. Don't worry about what is on the road up ahead. I want you to find your security in knowing me, the one who died to set you free. Amen. This passage says to me, it speaks to the fact that, again, Jesus is the one that can set you free. You know, at the end of the day, we can talk about the courtrooms, we can talk about lawyers, we can talk about judges, we can talk about everything here on the earth, but like to experience true freedom, that's whether in prison or out of prison, it comes through him. And I think that's important to remember to everyone who's in prison, everyone who's out of prison. I know just about every prisoner has this book on their shelves. And I can remember, I know this isn't the only passage that speaks along those lines, but I can remember just how much it meant to me, like being in prison and reading something like that. 
And that's pretty much when things just really started changing, like in my situation, because things had been stagnant when we first met. I had lost my last appeal, and so my hope levels were like, and... Like nobody was saying her name around the time we met. It no. Was just like a, no, there was like a little blip of time when the documentary had first mm-hmm. aired in like 2011, mm-hmm. where people were, you know, advocating and things, and then it kind of just died. You know, it just went away, and so it was like, man, <laughs> that's not going for me. You know, I don't have any support, like in terms of people trying to advocate for me. My last appeal has been denied. Like, whatever. And here was this man telling me, no, you're going to get out. God says you're going to get out. And you have to decide if you're going to believe what man is telling you or if you're going to believe God. And it was when I made that decision. And I said, you know what, I'm going to believe what God says. All of a sudden, miraculously, my appeal was opened back up, which never happens. And just things started happening. When I wrote the letter... There's one other specific thing that the Lord told me to do. He p- told me to put the hashtag Free Centoya, uh, and he told me to put the date, 2017. Um, and, you know, eventually that will become the hashtag that actually went viral. And it's so crazy because we didn't even realize that. I had I kept all my letters, like, that he ever wrote me. So I had the letter, and... People would always write letters and put hashtag this, hashtag that, hashtag for you, and hashtag, you know. And so I just thought it was just something that people would just put on their letters. I didn't really think much of it. And it's so crazy just how prophetic it was. As we go back and look at that letter, it's just like God was so intentional with what he was doing. And then probably what, like five, six months later, the hashtag started out of nowhere. Like, just like literally overnight, it was like, whoa, like, what is this, you know? And I didn't put it online, so just to see it come from a letter and, you know, God showing that he knew what he was doing the whole time, and we can't pinpoint who started it today. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, let's give God his, 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 his credit, and, you know, I give the glory to him because he started it. It's, I, you can't explain it. Yeah. And so I don't want the credit for it, and uh, I don't want no one else to take the credit for it. It's, Thank you, Father. You're right. amazing. Centoya's story continued to elicit compassion from people around the world, and supporters rallied around her with the hashtag FreeCentoya. In January 2019, Tennessee Governor Bill Haslam granted clemency to Centoya, and she walked out of prison a free woman in August of 2019. Centoya reflects on the day she received the news of her clemency and goes on to share about her new book, Free Centoya, and how she's spending her days in freedom. I kind of already knew in my spirit that it was coming. I don't want to act like I'm too surprised because God doesn't surprise me. He always does what he says he's going to do, but this is really awesome. So when I issued the clemency statement, I was like, he's going to get his glory. Yes, there were many people that came together that he put it on their hearts to, to stand up and to come together. But the point is, it was him. And it was because he is a God of second chances. And so I felt like that was really important to stress, you know, and the first thing that I actually had to say after, because I knew that people would be paying attention to that. And I felt like it was the perfect time to just let them know that this, what you're witnessing right now, this miracle, it's from nobody but him. So my book, 
Free Centoya, my search for redemption in the American prison system covers everything. Um, and I mean absolutely everything that I experienced over the 15 years. I wanted to make sure that I included things about, you know, the juvenile system, the school system, even before I became involved as a juvenile, different things that led up to that because I wanted to paint a more clear picture of how this happened. I wanted to include how I ended up trafficking. You know, if you look at it, you think, wow, like you met this person in the space of two weeks and he had you do this. And I think that's also important in order for us to accurately combat trafficking. We have to understand what makes girls vulnerable to it. We have to understand like how you get from point A to point B. Um, you're not just, kidnapped and put on the streets. It's not, it doesn't just happen like that. It's not always that clear cut. A lot of times, you know, it's more subtle. Um, it's more manipulative. It's more preying on the minds of people who are vulnerable in terms of being susceptible to manipulation, to lies, to thinking things are one way and they're not another. So I kind of wanted to dive into that and everything that happened. And then of course, everything with the justice system with being tried, um, with spending time in prison, you know, actually taking the steps to rehabilitate yourself because unfortunately our prisons are not places of rehabilitation. You know, they're not places of redemption. And so I wanted to show what it's like for someone who actually applies himself, someone who fight to find that rehabilitation in a place that's not at all conducive to it. My husband and I, we've been working um, with our attorney on developing our nonprofit organization, um, the Foundation for Justice, Freedom, and Mercy, um, or the JFAM Foundation, as we call it. And we'd really like to work to try to get more stories out there from the people who've experienced the justice system themselves, um, because we think their voice is important, and really understanding what's going on in the system, and really understanding you know, what we can do, where we can kind of fit in to change, and then also just helping people to understand that there is a need for change, because I think that that's the big area um, that's lacking right now. A lot of people don't think that the system is broken. They don't think there's flaws. Um, and so we'd like to focus our work there. Even though I was in a physical prison, even throughout that time, I was in prison within prison. Um, I was in a prison of anger. I was in a prison of my past, constantly letting that hold me, you know, captive, anxiety. Like, I've spent time in many prisons, and I was constantly trying to find a way out of it, constantly trying to find a solution. Um, oh, well, maybe if I exercise more, I won't feel this anxiety. Maybe if, you know, I just keep my mouth shut, I won't be angry and I won't have these outbursts, and nothing ever worked. And it didn't work until I just surrendered. You know, I was like, God, I don't have control over this. I can't fix it, but I know that you can, and I'm just gonna let you do what you do with it. I'm just gonna trust that, you know, I am a work in progress and you're working on me and I'm just asking you to come into this situation and take over because I, I just can't anymore. And it wasn't immediate, you know, it's not immediate, but it definitely takes place, and he definitely can fix whatever it is that you're going to do. Yeah, God is no respecter of persons. Right. What he did for me, he can do for you. 
he is in the prisoner freeing business. He's you willing know. to do it. Oh yeah. He wants to do it. Yeah. He, he he's waiting to do yeah. it. So he did it for Joseph. He did it for Sintoya. Yeah. He can do it for you too. Exactly. And no matter what your prison is, and so you just gotta submit to him and just cast all your cares on him and let him do what he does. That's so he is. He's God. You can read more about Sintoya's story in her new book, Free Sintoya, available at your favorite book retailer today. Stay tuned for our interview with interior designer Liz Marie Galvin after a brief message about a way to connect with Jesus Calling readers each week through prayer. Did you know that Sarah Young, the author of Jesus Calling, prays for her readers each day? In that spirit, we want to extend the Jesus Calling prayer community out to you in a more personal way. Each Tuesday morning, you can dial into the Jesus Calling weekly prayer call, where the team from Jesus Calling and special guests will minister to us during a 10-minute call to reflect on that day's passage from Jesus Calling, read scripture references, and pray together for each other and our world. Prayer call times are 8 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Central, 6 a.m. Mountain, and 5 a.m. Pacific, and are for U.S. only. For more information on the Jesus Calling weekly prayer call or to submit prayer requests, please visit jesuscalling.com slash prayer dash call. Again, to join us in this community of prayer every Tuesday morning, please visit jesuscalling.com slash prayer dash call. During times of transition and unknown next steps, It's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Liz Marie Galvin is an interior designer and blogger who, even as a little girl, aspired to create beautiful spaces by constantly decorating and rearranging her childhood room. After marrying her high school sweetheart and settling into life on a farm, Liz Marie studied design while her husband served in the military. Together, they also dreamed of starting a family, only to be disappointed time and again with infertility issues. Liz Marie shares how she endured this dark season of her life by diving headfirst into things that brought her comfort and peace, her faith, and creating a warm and cozy home. Eventually, her ideas around creating welcoming spaces turned into a popular blog and then a book called Cozy White Cottage, A Hundred Ways to Love the Feeling of Being Home. I am Liz Marie Galvan, um, blogger at lizmarieblog.com, interior designer, former military wife, co-owner of the Found Cottage, uh, Mama to Copeland, and most recently, an author. So I grew up in West Michigan, um, where we now live again. Um, I had two parents who are wonderful um, and that I now consider best friends and an older brother. So we grew up, um, like I said, in West Michigan. Every weekend we spent at our cottage that was on a tiny lake in Northern Michigan. Um, I have really good memories going up there. And ever since I can remember, um, 
my I had a fascination, um, sometimes borderline obsession with home decor, interior design, um, and and all things that revolved around that. And I remember sitting in second grade um, while the teacher was talking, and I'm looking around the room. Um, coming up with ideas of how I would change the room and how I would decorate the room. And I still remember this. And I, I remember being like realizing I could use my imagination to come up with designs and picture how I would decorate spaces. So I was also the child that wasn't watching cartoons. Um, instead, I was watching interior design shows like Christopher Lowell and Trading Spaces. Um, that's what I ran home from school to watch. I basically started blogging when I was in elementary school because I would take photos with my disposable camera of my bedroom set up different ways and I put them all, um, I would go and get them developed and I would put them all into this creative memories journal. So it's basically, it was my original blog um, and my mom would get so mad at me for wasting my disposable film on taking photos of my bedroom different ways, Um, but it worked out. It's now my job. Jose and I met in high school. Um, We went to different high schools actually and just met through a mutual friend. And I look back now and it's just, um, we became best friends right when we met. And it's just from the day I had met him, even though we were so young, it was just like a magnet. It was always him. He was always my person. Um, he was kind of just the opposite of me um, and just really an encourager. I've always been kind of a dreamer and a thinker and just always doing things. And he was always there being my biggest cheerleader. So it really started as a Um, really good friendship and just blossomed into you are my person and um, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. So um, Jose and I, my husband, got married when we were 19. We were really young. And the day after we got married, um, I moved down to North Carolina to be with him where he was serving in the Marine Corps. And um, I started college. I was going to um, school for business um, because I was unaware that they had an interior design program in the small town that we lived in. So after that, um, I started school at a local um, community college that offered interior design courses, which was really exciting. And it really um, kind of just honed in my craft. And I was able to meet some really awesome professors that kind of showed me a new side of interior design. Um, My husband deployed um, a couple times, but on his second deployment, um, I was always redoing furniture and redecorating our home. And a friend came to me and said, you should start a blog. And at that point, I honestly had never heard the word blog before. I had no idea what it was. And I looked it up and I found this entire community of interior designers and home decor enthusiasts that were all blogging. And so I started a blog while he was deployed and I started documenting um, painting furniture and just all the projects I was doing. And that's kind of what took me on the path of the interior designer that I am now. And now we've been married 12 years and we have been through a whole lot of things, Um, but each thing has just made our marriage stronger And that's just how it's been from the beginning. You never think that you're going to be the person struggling with infertility. It was never 
on my radar or a thought in my mind that that would happen. Um, so we started about six years ago, maybe seven now, trying to grow our family. And the first time it took us about a year to get pregnant and um, I never lost hope um, in that year. And we got pregnant and um, a couple months later we had our first miscarriage. And it was the most devastating thing I had ever gone through. Um, it was just something that I never could have imagined until I was in those shoes. And since then, we've um, lost nine babies. And it was a very difficult um, journey. But one day, I, it bubbled up to the surface, and I just had to shout it from the rooftops. I couldn't go on the blog or on social media and pretend like everything was okay. I had to start sharing it. And I'm so thankful I did because I was able to meet a, an entire community of people that were going through the same struggle. And that was so helpful to be able to rally together and um, give each other hope and pray for each other. And I would have never, I, it's a very lonely feeling infertility is. It's very isolating because not a lot of people are very open about it or you're surrounded by a lot of people that have children or um, they didn't talk about how difficult it was to get there so it can look really easy for people. We lost our ninth baby and I was starting to stumble a little bit and wonder um, why I was going through this and um, I was looking to God and just wanting to know why I was um, not able to bear a child and it was one of the darkest seasons of my life and looking back I actually would have never dreamed of writing a book in the season of life I was in when I wrote the book and the thing that I pride myself in is making every space in our home and other homes is cozy so I wanted to write a book about cozy and looking back that was writing the book was one of the darkest seasons of my life I think that really inspired a lot for the book because I was craving to be cozy in every aspect of my emotional and physical life. So I was able to gather a hundred very approachable ways that you can make any space in your home cozy, um, even from emotional ways along with physical ways, just including your five senses. So looking back, it was like the darkest year of my life writing that book, but I think that it um, truly inspired a lot of like the cozy elements of the book. I think creating a cozy corner is honestly, it's one of my favorite things to do. Um, I share a lot about it on the blog um, and in the book. Creating a cozy corner um, can be anything from just grabbing um, a chair or purchasing a chair and grabbing a pillow and a blanket and a footrest and just designating a corner in your home that you can retreat to for morning devotions or um, evening quiet time or you know some people want to watch tv at night um, just creating that cozy corner um, it's it can be really simple it, it doesn't need to be anything beyond just designating a corner for yourself if you live in an open concept home you don't need an entire den area or living room area um, just retreating to that spot um, 
or if it's anything like if you like listening to music, um, buying a radio or something that you put in the corner to listen to music, um, or now we have Alexas, um, things like that that can play music or you can listen to your devotions or a podcast in the corner. I think just designating a corner like that um, can make a huge difference. Um, sometimes I think that we're overwhelmed with more stuff and creating a cozy corner can be just cleaning that corner out and only having your favorite items in there that you can feel at rest and you don't feel um, like you're looking at a to-do list. You're looking at your quiet, peaceful time. Jesus Calling is what made um, devotional and quiet time Um, approachable to someone like me. I feel like my mind goes a mile a minute. And I think that a lot of people tend to overcomplicate doing devotionals or doing Bible studies. And Jesus Calling made it approachable to someone like me and very much got me into doing daily devotions because it was approachable. So being able to leave it out in my quiet corner, it's out. I see it every day. It's a reminder that I need to sit and reflect and have that quiet time to do my devotions, and it's approachable. So this is Jesus Calling from October 22nd. No matter what your circumstances may be, you can find joy in my presence. On some days, joy is generously strewn along your life path, glistening in the sunlight. On days like that, being content is as as simple as breathing the next breath or taking the next step. Other days are overcast and gloomy. You feel the strain of the journey, which seems endless. Dull gray rocks greet your gaze and cause your feet to ache. Yet joy is still attainable. Search for it as far as hidden treasure. Begin by remembering that I have created this day. It is not a chance occurrence. Recall that I am present with you, whether you sense my presence or not. Then start talking with me about whatever it is is on your mind. Rejoice in the fact that I understand you perfectly, and I know exactly what you are experiencing. As you continue communicating with me, your mood will gradually lighten. Awareness of my marvelous companionship can infuse joy into the grayest day. I probably should have read that every day of our infertility journey um, because there were days where it was really easy to be positive and hopeful. Um, And then there were other days where um, I couldn't see the light at all. Um, I couldn't see past um, everything that we were going through and I was angry um, and I was upset and I was mad. Um, So it's definitely, that is a great one for anyone going through anything um, that they're waiting for. Um, during the waiting period of their life, Um, but definitely anyone going through um, infertility and miscarriage, uh, that is definitely a great passage to read. So at the end of the summer last year, um, we host a market in Holland, Michigan every year called the Found Cottage Mercantile. And while we were at that market um, that we run, my husband and I are separated because there's so much to do. So he's off doing something and I'm off doing other things, um, meeting with people that come to the market. Um, and during the day, separately, we found out later, about around 50 people came up to us who had either been adopted, who have adopted, um, who were or who were somewhere um, involved in adoption somehow. 
and all day long people were coming up to me having me hold their adopted babies and um, it was the strangest thing everyone we hadn't talked about adopting nothing and at the end of the day Jose and I came together and we were like what happened why it was the strangest thing and we both looked up and we were like okay God we'll look into it we get it like it was just kind of thrown into our faces it was the oddest thing um, but we're like fine we'll look into it there's so many different paths that you can take with adoption so we were like, you know what, what if we just announced that we were looking into it and we could get help from people? We've really learned to embrace our blogging community and um, we know no more than other people. And we've learned to really um, utilize that community. So we announced that we wanted to adopt and a couple months or maybe a month later, um, we got a text from a birth mom who um, was pregnant and due in five weeks and hadn't picked a family yet. And I got, I'm starting to get the chills. Um, and she was pregnant with a son. And um, we met and she asked us if we wanted to adopt her baby and that was Copeland. So it's so funny how um, it went from um, us um, you know, God kind of just like shoving adoption um, on our path to a couple months later, we had our son named Copeland um, that we could have never dreamed or imagined of having, um, especially that soon after everything kind of um, happened. And adoption definitely looks different for everybody in different situations, but um, it's adoption has truly opened my heart. But from the second I was um, privileged to be in the room when he came into the world and from the second I looked at him I was like that's my son and it was just an instant bond with him it was this is my child um, and right away I think that adoption also um, really has taught me to give cope back to God um, through the whole thing and when I look at his face now it's like it was always you you were always my son like this is why um, we were waiting and it was always for him. Adoption has just opened my heart completely to wanting to share cope with everybody and realizing that um, it's a, it really is, it's a village of people and I want him to be surrounded by these wonderful people. I think a cozy home starts with the people in it, the gratefulness of the home that you live in and the people that are in your home or choosing to visit you, that gratefulness, I think is just, that's cozy. Providing a space for people to come into, loving those people, welcoming them in with a warm hug, um, that's a cozy home. You can find Liz Marie's book, Cozy White Cottage, at your favorite bookseller. Next time on the Jesus Calling podcast, we talk with actor and producer Rita Wilson. Rita has a host of creative talents to her name, and now she's added singer-songwriter to the list. When we caught up with Rita at CMA Fest in Nashville, she told us why it's never too late to chase a new dream. What are we all blessed with? What are our gifts? And even if you think you have a gift for something but you're not quite sure, you should check it out, because maybe you do. And that's something worthwhile and worthy and might be affecting and touching somebody else. So go for it. Do you love hearing these stories of faith weekly from people like you whose lives have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling Stories of Faith podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review so that we can reach others with these inspirational stories. And you can also see these interviews on video as part of our original web series, with a new interview premiering every other Sunday on Facebook Live. Find previously broadcast interviews on our YouTube channel on IGTV or on JesusCalling.com video.